Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. My name is Jennifer Adkins. I am from Caldwell, Idaho. And in early 2023, we discovered that we were pregnant with our second child. And at our 12-week appointment, we got the devastating news that our fetus was not viable, that the baby had Turner syndrome, which means she was missing an X chromosome, and that um, not only was she not likely to survive the pregnancy, but that I was at risk of developing life-threatening complications on top of that. Because we live in Idaho, and this was at a time after Roe versus Wade was overturned, we were unable to terminate the pregnancy in the state of Idaho, and our physicians were unable to refer us out of state. So we were forced to find that appointment on our own and find a clinic willing to do the procedure and travel out of state in order to terminate our very wanted but not viable pregnancy. So we went to Portland and even though they provided the best possible care that they possibly could and they were they were lovely and they took excellent care of us, it still hard to not be surrounded by the people that you love and trust and care about um, and that love you and care about you and to you know meet all new providers a whole new doctor nurse team and have to go through this alone with strangers losing a child is devastating for any family and to put that out for the world to kind of scrutinize and make judgment on and you know, say mean things about us, but we knew it was also necessary because we knew we had the capability to do it. And there are so many people that don't. And if we can help use our voice to help protect those people and to protect future families from this happening to them, that's what we want to do. My name is Samantha Cassiano. I'm 29 years old and I'm originally from Houston, Texas. When I became pregnant, this was not my first baby. This is actually my fifth child. When I went in for my 20-week scan, you know, they pick up your shirt, they rub the gel on your belly, and everything goes well. We're having a conversation. And then all of a sudden, it goes quiet. They go on to tell me that they were sorry to tell me, but my daughter has been diagnosed with anencephaly, which means that my daughter's skull is not fully developed and her brain is not fully developed. And I felt like this has to be a dream. This, this is not right. Like, no way. And I immediately just start to cry. After I spoke to my doctor, I just kind of thought, what do I do? What can I do? Like, what options do I have? She, my doctor just told me I don't have any options. I have to be pregnant. There has to be something. And afterwards, I go on to see if I can maybe go out of state. But 
the cost was crazy and childcare and I work, my husband works. It just, just didn't work for us, which is sad because, you know, you would think in your hometown, you'd be able to get the healthcare that you need. And that wasn't there for us. And after I gave birth, she was with us for four hours. And when I tell you she was grasping for air, she was just, just like using her whole mouth was open and she was grasping for air and they gave her morphine. And that hurt even more because, you know, to see your little baby get morphine, morphine is, well, it's morphine. So it was heartbreaking. In the very beginning, I wanted to be anonymous. And that changed as soon as I met my daughter and saw how she suffered. I am going to do whatever I can to make sure that no mother, no other baby has to go through this ever again. My daughter died in my her father's hands and it took him an emotional roller coaster to have to go through that. No family should have to go through that. This is what it was like for these women who tried to get an abortion last year. How did we get here? This month marks 51 years since Roe v. Wade enshrined the federal right to abortion. In 2022, as we all know, that right was abolished by the U.S. Supreme Court. The ruling, driven by Justice Samuel Alito, took away the constitutional right to choose to have an abortion and gave that authority, quote, to the people and their elected representatives. Now, doctors are afraid. And as we just heard, the consequences for women looking to terminate a pregnancy has often been harrowing. Today, New York Times Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter Jody Cantor explains what was really going on inside the Supreme Court when Roe was overturned. Jody is a top-notch reporter responsible for breaking many Me Too stories alongside her colleague Megan Tuohy. Now she's teamed up with another colleague, Adam Liptak, and the result is an astonishing feat of meticulously sourced reporting with surprising details. Here's my conversation with Jody Cantor. Jody, I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast. You are such an intrepid, excellent reporter, and your piece on how the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade was, I think, a masterclass in reporting. First and foremost, how did you get the idea to really dig into this? Because it was no easy task. Well, thank you so much, Katie. Adam Liptak and I just wanted to understand what had really happened. This is one of the most consequential decisions of our time. You know, you're talking today about the effect on women's lives, on whether or not they have children, but also it's transformed who's elected in this country, how medicine is practiced. And the court is pretty opaque. You know, on the one hand, they have oral arguments, they issue written opinions so we can understand some of their thinking. But the question of how is the law and especially something this epic really decided is often a mystery. And in fact, their papers stay sealed for so long that the written records may not come out until some of us are dead. So Adam and I plunged in and just asked the basic questions, you know, how do the nine justices go about doing something so big? How challenging was that, Jody? I mean, I can't imagine being tasked with really unraveling every aspect of this decision. So how did you go about reporting this? And how many FOIAs did you have to, you know, to it, do? It's a great question. We did zero FOIAs because the Supreme Court is exempt from FOIA. FOIA, of course, is the usual means by which the public, including journalists, can find out what's what the government is doing. Why don't you explain what FOIAs are? It's basically a written request to a government entity saying, will you please show us these emails or these records because the public has a right to know. The Supreme Court is exempt from that. So... There were some public records that we could rely on, and every case is a story, right? Litigation is is a narrative, and the Dobbs litigation is especially interesting because 
Katie, I'm going to say it a little impolitely. This case was a nothing burger when it first emerged. It was this Mississippi law that was blatantly unconstitutional when it was passed because it contradicted Roe. It didn't look like it had a chance, especially because Justice Ginsburg was still on the court. Tell us a little more about the Mississippi law and what it stated. So basically, what Mississippi wanted to do is they wanted to permit women to have abortions only before 15 weeks. So it doesn't sound that controversial on the face of it, right? Because most abortions do occur before 15 weeks. But the reason why it was so provocative is that the Supreme Court for many, many, many years had held that you can't restrict abortion before viability, before, say, 23 weeks about. And that had been sacred for a long time. So really what they were saying was, we want to change the rules of when abortion restrictions are permitted. So two federal courts said no, said you can't do this. And they made a last-ditch appeal to the Supreme Court when Justice Ginsburg was still alive and it looked like they had no chance. And then Justice Ginsburg died and everything changed. In fact, that was a huge turning point for really the ethos of the court. Before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you a couple of other quick questions about the actual reporting. You had a difficult time finding sources because everything is so tightly held there. It's like a a secret society in a way, right, Jody? And anyone who kind of shares information is shunned if it's discovered who they are, right? Can you talk about kind of the culture of the Supreme Court? Because it's so fascinating. It's correct. To work there is pretty much to take a vow of silence. So it's a pretty dramatic situation because no matter who you are at the court, if you have access to the deliberative process, you are confronting some of the hardest issues in American life. That's what the court is doing right now. They're taking on all of these very controversial hot-button topics, and yet you can't tell anybody what you've seen. And also, there's no accountability for these nine people. They have lifetime appointments, and nobody is anybody else's boss there among the justices, meaning We look at Chief Justice John Roberts, and he looks like he's in charge in many ways, but he's really not. He's really not. He's the administrator of the court and of the federal courts, but he really doesn't have a lot of leverage over the other justices. And so then to make things even more difficult, Adam and I were reporting in the shadow of a leak investigation, of course. Right. So they were even more paranoid to talk to you, right? Anyone associated with the court. It was very difficult. But as you know, that's why we do, we weren't doing it just for the sake of breaking open the silence. We were doing it to try to illuminate the court, to help us understand this critical institution and to provide some function of accountability. I mean, as you know, we've both done this our whole lives in journalism. Probably the most basic function of journalism in a democracy is to just keep an eye on elected officials. It's why in a small town, you want a journalist sitting there at a school board meeting or watching the mayor because you want to say a representative of the people is independently, not with government support, watching these government officials to be able to see what they do. And so in some ways, we were just fulfilling that very basic function. Getting back to the Mississippi law, I'm curious, Jody, and this is a bit of a quick left turn. Has viability changed with technology? I guess that's one of the questions. If, in fact, this 23-week window has been protected for a long time by the Supreme Court, has technology and modern medicine, in fact, allowed fetuses to live even if they are less than 23 weeks old? I don't even know the answer to that. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I can tell you that, you know, Roe has always been a controversial decision, even among liberals. And there, as you know, the fights about abortion are just epic. And I think w- there has been some legal wrangling over whether the viability rule is smart because viability can change. Right. But the... Um, I don't think that was really what was happening with Dobbs. What happened with Dobbs is that the composition of the court 
changed. And Big time. Yeah. I mean, often you have a Supreme Court that's stable for years and years at a time because of these lifetime appointments. But very quickly from Justice Scalia's death in 2016 up until very recently, you're looking at a court that's been repopulated and mostly with conservative justices. Well, let's pick up with Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. She was sort of a firewall in terms of a case like this even being heard. She passes away. What happens? She passes away just as the justices are about to take their first preliminary look at Dobbs. And as you know, the Supreme Court operates in two phases. The first level of discussion is about whether the justices should take the case at all. The second level of discussion is, if they take it, is actually about deciding the case. So in very quick succession, Dobbs goes on the discussion list. Justice Ginsburg dies with weeks until the 2020 presidential election. In the final days, really, of President Trump's term, he replaces Justice Ginsburg with Amy Coney Barrett, who is known to disagree with abortion. She's basically a favorite of the anti-abortion movement. And young. And young, and shuffled on the court in record time, a very quick uh, nomination process. So she's coming onto the scene even as President Trump is being shuffled, you know, out of the White House. And then the court— Or they're trying to shuffle him out of the White House. Well, exactly. (laughs) As he loses the presidential election is a better way to say it. And so the court is sitting there with this very hot button case. And then it's in January of 2021, in fact, two days after the January 6th insurrection, that the justices have their first conversation about whether to take Dobbs or not. And this very new justice, Justice Barrett, has to decide what to do. And she doesn't want to take it. She's very hesitant at first. What we were able to report is that she initially votes to grant. That means to give it the green light. But she voices some objections, some concerns. Uh, you know, And she says, I'm really new here. I just got here. The composition of the court just changed. That will change. And she says, at that point, Justice Alito and a few of the others want to hear the case very soon. They want to hear it that term, meaning a year before it was actually held. So they are ready to move with this this colossal precedent. Justices Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch all wanted to hear it very quickly. And she says, if you go and do that, I'm going to change my grant vote to a deny. And then weeks later, that's what she actually does. She votes against taking the case. And so it's important to remember when we look at it, to go back to your original question, Katie, how did this happen? One of the key facts I'm going to tell you is that this case was greenlighted by a minority of the court. Two conservative justices did not want to take it, Justice Roberts and Justice Barrett. And it was all men who greenlighted this case. And they overrode the objections of every woman on the court, conservative and liberal. What was Justice Kavanaugh's role in this? Because he was a bit of a fly in the ointment for the conservative justices, right? Well— Or is that overstating it? Well, I think it's open to interpretation. Let's see what happened, and then we can interpret it. So they're sitting there on January 8th, two days after this rupture in American democracy. They have to decide whether to take the case or not. It seems like they have the votes to go ahead. But then at a subsequent meeting soon afterwards, Justice Kavanaugh says, we should relist this case. What does that mean? It means we should just punt or pretend that we're punting because we have the votes to go ahead. But the time, like Justice Barrett has already said the timing wasn't right for her. So what he's suggesting is, just keep it on like a TBD list in but public. But don't put it on the docket, if you will. Keep it on the docket. Keep as, it on the docket, but as don't a maybe. hear it. Don't say that we're going ahead, even though we privately know that we have the votes to grant. And he says this will allow us to watch cases play out in the lower courts. And so that's what happens. And that 
also opens, you know, a kind of window of persuasion. Some of the justices who don't want to take it go to work on Justice Barrett and Justice Kavanaugh. And as we know, Justice Barrett changes her vote. So what was he really doing there? Was he saying, I I think the most obvious interpretation is that he really wanted to take this case. He was in favor of it, but he wanted more time. He wanted it to look as if they were moving more slowly than they really were. I guess there's another, you know, there's another possible interpretation, but it's hard to know what he really thought. I guess there's an interpretation also that he was buying time. Well, that makes sense to me, no? You know, the reporting indicates that he wanted to go ahead, but we can't read the justices' minds. We don't know what they were thinking, and it's all a game of poker inside that building. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll dig deeper into the dynamics of the court and the details of two cases that affected the justices' decision to reconsider Roe. If you want to get smarter every morning with a breakdown of the news and fascinating takes on health and wellness and pop culture, sign up for our daily newsletter, Wake Up Call, by going to katiecouric.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Is... Justice Alito, Sam Alito, kind of the the leader of this whole movement to overturn Roe v. Wade, because I know Neil Gorsuch decided he agreed with him only 10 minutes after, right? Talk about the timing of, and how those two were really important figures in all this. So Justice Alito absolutely really propelled the court. He's one of nine justices, but when you look at the role he played you know, first in rescheduling the case uh, in the fall of 2020, he wrote the majority opinion. It appears that he pre-circulated it. We've seen, you know, evidence of some of the arguments he was making internally. And if you read his opinion, it's clear that he really wanted this to happen. So it's interesting. He first shared his famous draft, the draft that made the law. This is also the draft that leaked in February of 2022. This is now the second phase, the phase where they're actually deciding the case. And he shared it with the full court one morning. And Justice Gorsuch did an interesting thing. 
which is he said, yes, I'm signing on to this. I have no changes. 10 minutes after Justice Alito sent it around. And it was a 98-page opinion. So does that mean he never even read the opinion before saying yes? I don't think so. We don't think so. So were they in cahoots? Well, it appeared that Justice Alito pre-circulated the opinion among the majority before sharing it with the full court, which is not that unusual a thing to do. When you do that, you're trying to get buy-in from the other justices. So he shared it with we think, Gorsuch? We, we don't know exactly. Potentially. But it appears that he shared it with Justices Gorsuch, Barrett, uh, Kavanaugh, Thomas. Let's talk about the period of time between when the court agreed to hear the case and when they made the decision. Can you take people through sort of what happened? Because I think it still is such a mystery for people how the court operates. Sure. Well, two, there's the thing that sort of was like expected and routine, and then there was a real wild card in there as well. So the routine thing is that, you know, okay, the justices are taking the case. There are months and months of planning and buildup. Both sides are filing briefs. There are amicus briefs being filed by people who, you know, agree with one side or the other. That's like friend of the court. Friends yeah, of the court. exactly. Yeah. They're saying the court must do this, you know, for this reason. The lawyers are preparing their oral arguments because they're about to ar argue a historic case. So all of that is proceeding when, boom, this Texas case comes along that is extremely unorthodox. Here you have Mississippi trying to overturn Roe. And by the way, during this time, Mississippi expanded its question. Its first brief early in the process said, it's not necessary for the court to overturn Roe to go ahead with this 15-week rule by Mississippi. During this time period that we're talking about now, they say, actually, we're trying to overturn all of Roe. And this is kind of an unorthodox thing to do because they're changing the question. And Adam and I point out that there are other cases where the court has actually rejected the entire thing by by saying to the lawyers, hey, you changed the question. This right. is not cool. But they didn't. They didn't. So wait, let me just go back real quickly. Uh -huh. They tried to change it from the 15-week rule to what? So Mississippi, when they posed the case, say, we're just trying to do this 15-week cutoff for abortions. We are... It is not necessary to overturn Roe. Then, during the merits phase, they file another brief saying, justices, you've got to go all the way here and overturn Roe. It's like they sensed opportunity and expanded their question. Now, normally, I feel like I'm going all Michael Barbaro on you. Yeah. Normally, you can't do that. You're saying that a lot of times, if it changes midstream, the justices or the court will say, no, you can't do that. You risk the justices dismissing the case as improvidently granted if you do that. However, in this case, it's at the justice's discretion, and in this case, they went ahead. So what about this Texas law? So even as Mississippi is on its way to overturning Try to overturn Roe, Roe, Texas steps in with a much more provocative law than Mississippi's. Texas has what's called a heartbeat bill banning abortion around the time you hear a heartbeat. So Which is? six, seven weeks. Now, the funny thing is that a lot of women don't know they're pregnant then. You can't even do an abortion if it's too early. But not only that, the law has this incredibly unusual structure where Regular people, Uber drivers, doctors can be sued for helping to provide the abortion. And by doing that, the drafters of the law actually made it immune from review by the federal courts. They found this kind of loophole that said the Supreme Court actually can't rule on whether this law is constitutional or not, even though this law it contravenes Roe. And so this case comes to the Supreme Court in an emergency application. This is totally different than the court's regular procedures. It's like a last-minute thing. This is the Texas law. Two days before the Texas law is supposed to go into effect, more or less overturning Roe in the second most populous state in the entire country, abortion providers in Texas come to the Supreme Court and say, you've got to stop this. This is illegal. This is improper. 
And the court becomes kind of frozen over what to do. And this was part of our reporting as well. It's this last minute application. It's August 31st. Four of the justices led by Justice Alito want to go ahead. Four of the justices led by Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, want to stop it. And Justice Gorsuch doesn't vote in time. So the court doesn't make a decision or announce anything before the law goes into effect. It goes into effect. And then only the next day does the court issue a decision allowing it to go ahead. It says we're not we're not intervening. And by the way, the Texas law would even make it a crime to, let's say, I had a friend who needed an abortion and we both lived in Texas. And I drove her to a nearby state where she could terminate her pregnancy. I could be charged with criminal activity, right? It's not like a, you're not going to be put in jail for, a, you know, a criminal offense, but you can be subject to a lawsuit. And so there is this feeling that, that like, wait a second, things are moving even more quickly than people even realized. And more severely and more, right? right? And also it doesn't look good for Roe at that point. You know, people are starting to say, if the court is allowing this Texas law to go ahead, they're not going to stop Mississippi. Let's talk about the leak, because that is a big part of your reporting. Yeah. Who do you think leaked the decision and why? I, you know, I don't know and I can't tell you. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see, Katie, whether history ever figures it out or whether anybody ever comes forward. Absent photographic evidence, it is really, really tough to say. I think the question that is almost more interesting is, and this is what Politico never told us, what was the motive? What was the motive? Because, you know, there are two sides here, right? There are people who were outraged that the right to abortion was overturned. And there are people who saw it as a must, a necessity, the crowning achievement of the conservative legal movement. And so there are essentially two theories. The, there's the theory that a liberal did it to raise alarm bells about what was about to happen. And then there's the theory that a conservative did it in order to, to make it a runaway train in order to help lock in the votes and prevent a compromise. And one of our discoveries in our reporting was that the compromise efforts underway at the court were more extensive than anybody knew. Let's talk about that yeah. because I haven't mentioned Justice Breyer's role in all this. Exactly. And tell us what was going on behind the scenes. Well, listen, I don't know how people listening and hearing this today would feel about this, but... What if the court had stopped at 15 weeks? What if we were living in a reality today that said you can have an abortion up until 15 weeks? That's what Chief Justice Roberts wanted to do. I mean, he basically said this is the rule in other in a lot of other democracies. You know, he wanted his position was that he wanted to allow Mississippi uh, to go forward with its law, but essentially stop there, at least for the time being. And uh, part of what's interesting is that it turns out that Justice Breyer, a lifelong liberal, was considering joining that position, which only would have had symbolic value. It wouldn't have been legally, it wouldn't have changed the legal outcome. But what would have changed it is that because of the court's kind of unusual math, the chief justice only needed one vote from the conservative side to make that the law. So if he had been able to win over Justice Barrett or Justice Kavanaugh, say, we would be living with the 15-week rule today. And, and Roe would still be partially intact. It would be sort of smaller and more limited, but it would still exist. I'm curious, and I know you're not a doctor, and neither am I, of course, but don't most women get abortions in that time frame yeah. anyway. I think oh, there's so much misinformation about quote-unquote late-term yeah. or even worse, partial birth sure. abortions that compromise so few abortions that take place in this country. And when they do, it's usually because the life of the mother is in danger right. or there's something seriously wrong with the fetus. Yeah. 
And so that would have precluded all these states from enacting much more draconian laws, correct? Yeah, I think the states would have continued to challenge a 15-week rule. You know, there's one theory that says that a 15-week rule was only a gateway to a 10-week rule, which would have been an eight-week rule, which would have been a six-week rule, and then you have no right to abortion after that. would have been a heartbeat law, right? Exactly. But maybe not. I mean, maybe... That would have placated, perhaps, or not. it's so hard to talk in hypotheticals and also the abortion debates in this country are so thunderous that it seems like wishful thinking that, you know, after all these years, this country could just, you know, say, okay, 15 weeks, you know, the referee is blowing the whistle, like, you know, the this is done and we're moving on to the next issue. But we don't know. I mean, look at what's changed with politics in this country since Roe was overturned, you know, what would have been the political after effect of a 15-week rule? We can't, you know, we can't know. Talk about the leak and how that basically nullified any attempts at the compromise that Justice Roberts and Breyer were considering, this 15-week ban. So the reason why these votes are secret is so justices can change their minds. It's to preserve their privacy. I mean, it's the deliberative process is supposed to have a sanctity to it because no matter our political backgrounds, we really want the justices to be engaged in thoughtful contemplation and debate and to really do what they feel is right. And sometimes that can mean changing your mind or shifting your position. So this was a really grave breach for that reason. You know, the court has called it an assault on the deliberative process. And I think that's right because it wasn't just the outcome that was leaked. It wasn't like somebody said, Katie Rowe is going to be overturned. The entire opinion was leaked. I mean, that is so unthinkable. And what happened is that it rendered the efforts at compromise kind of hopeless. Now, who knows how much hope they had to begin with. We really can't say because, you know, it would require a kind of like truth serum, I think, for one of the justices to know every thought that was going through their minds. But we do know that some of the justices were trying to persuade others, and that just didn't work once everything became public. Why? I mean, because for a justice to change their minds after the votes and the opinion had become public it would have looked like they were bowing to public pressure, which they never want to look like they're doing. So the decision had them pretty much boxed into their view, right? I would say it solidified what already seemed to be happening. So this term, the Supreme Court is going to decide whether to limit access to a key abortion drug. What do you think is going to happen? I can't tell you exactly, but it's very dramatic, and I'm glad you mentioned it, because what we have to understand is that this is now the most common method of abortion in this country. Our old image of, you know, going to a clinic and having surgery is is somewhat— is. Antiquated at yeah, this point, although I think it's more only than, part it, of it the still truth. happens, yeah. but I think more than 50% of abortions use a pill that will terminate the pregnancy. And so now this question is back with the justices, which is not what they said would happen. In his majority opinion from Dobbs, Justice Alito says, we're throwing this back to the states. The people are going to decide. We are washing our hands well, why are they even of abortion this case, decisions. Then? Well, I think they, I mean, they chose to take the case because I think they essentially have to. You know, this is really controversial. There's a lot of disagreement. So basically, the Supreme Court has to decide whether these really strict restrictions on these abortion drugs that were put in place by a lower court are going to stand or not. And remember that this is a different set of legal issues. This is about the FDA and what drugs were approved. So it's, you know, the court said that it was, it wanted to get less involved in abortion questions, but it appears to be getting more involved. After this break, Jody's take on what the outcome of the 2024 presidential election could mean for the future of the Supreme Court and, of course, abortion rights. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I shudder to think about the composition of the Supreme Court if Donald Trump is reelected because that means even more conservative justices. Who is the next to retire Jody, and how could his reelection impact the composition of the court? You know, it's a really interesting question, in part because of the very complicated and not straightforward question uh, of what happened with the first three judges he appointed. President Trump said that he was going to put in place justices who would automatically overturn Roe. I mean, he did, but did they do it automatically or not? I don't know. That's part of why it's so interesting that Justice Barrett didn't vote to take the case. And in general, they didn't take his marching orders. Remember that this court reviewed a lot of election cases in which President Trump wanted them to stand by the idea that he had really won the 2020 election. They didn't do that. They rejected his ideas over and over again. And of course, now they're about to face an even more dramatic, arguably, set of election cases. And so he appointed very conservative justices, but not justices who took his dictates in much any Much to his chagrin, probably. Much to his chagrin. Right? And on January 6th, he actually gave a speech saying... I regard these justices as disloyal to me. I fought for them. He was especially talking about Justice Kavanaugh because of the sexual misconduct allegations during his nomination. So your question is a great one, but before we get to that, I kind of think we need to focus on this earlier question of what, I agree. what, what are the justices going to do with these election well, cases? Yeah, let's let's backtrack and actually talk about that, Jody, because that's certainly something I wanted to discuss with you, knowing what you and Adam uncovered about the inner workings of the Supreme Court. What do you think they are going to do when they hear in February this Colorado case that says Donald Trump, because of Article 14, Section 3 of the Constitution about dealing with insurrectionists, that he cannot be on the state ballot for president of the United States? You know, a lot of people say if they're the strict constructionists they claim to be, or originalists, right, and they follow the letter of the law when it comes to the Constitution, they will agree with Colorado. What's your sense 
Nobody knows. It's a great question because it, it, it is pretty clear that January 6th was an insurrection. And there's no requirement to be convicted of that. Well, so what Adam, Adam Liptak, um, has written is that, of course, it's impossible to know. But based on his reading of the law and his knowledge of the justices, he's indicated that he thinks it's a little— he thinks the justices may be reluctant to— keep a candidate off the ballot, really just on the principle that it's the people who are supposed to decide elections. However, it's the it's one of the other cases, this immunity case in which President Trump has is if you're president, you're immune to criminal prosecution. Adam thinks the justices may not go for that. So so we'll see. We'll see we'll see. We'll see. We'll see we'll see. But for the first time since Bush v. Gore, it really looks like a presidential election is in the justices' hands. It's going to be so interesting to watch. And one last question, Jody, because it really has to do with the Supreme Court and the lack of transparency, or as you said, the opacity, I guess, of the of the high court. There have been a lot of questions about the behavior of one particular <laughs> Supreme Court justice, and that is Clarence Thomas. And if he has made too many compromises, we don't have to get into all the details here, but gifts and whether or not he's been influenced by certain outside interests, et cetera, et cetera. What is happening in terms of making sure the Supreme Court had, and, and by the way, in public opinion polls, views of the high court have declined right? Mm -hmm. And approval ratings, if you will. What is happening in terms of ensuring that the justices are ethical? So there's a new ethics code, but it's soft. On the one hand, it's a real change. It's a real advance. They put out something publicly. And remember that, you know, part of what is really surprising about the Supreme Court is that they're actually bound by fewer rules than other federal judges, which kind of makes no sense because, you say, how could the people with the highest responsibility have the low, least amount of safeguards? Lower standards, right? Yeah. right. And so there is an ethics code now, but it lacks an enforcement mechanism. Some of the language is open to interpretation. It's still basically an honor system and a voluntary basis. But listen, this is why Reporting on the court is so important, and ProPublica has done so much work on this issue, The Times, other publications. And I think there's just a renewed feeling that we have to watch and understand the justices because they have so much power. And even in our system of checks and balances, their power is, their power lacks a lot of the usual checks. For people watching or listening to this who believe in a woman's right to choose, do you see this ever sort of turning around? Do you see something akin to Roe ever being reinstated? It's a better question for a legal expert, but I think we're seeing it on the political side. I mean, look at what happened in Ohio. You know, there were just massive efforts, you know, to— Also Kansas? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, we're just seeing that, you know, Adam and I never really talked about politics and he was elected and ballot referendums and stuff during our reporting because we were entirely focused on the court. But you could argue that, you know, what Justice Alito and his colleagues did succeeded legally, of course, but for but members of the Republican Party, I, I'd be fascinated to talk to a Republican political official and hear his or her response to our story and what the court did because there are some Republicans who feel this has been a disaster for them. Right, politically. Yeah. And yet, I think it's also been seen as a huge triumph. Exactly. That took years and years and years yeah. for the anti-abortion movement in this country. Yeah. I think that's right. So maybe they're reaping what they sowed politically, these Republican officials. They wrote on the, on the, the winds of anti-abortion quote-unquote pro-life advocates, and now maybe be careful what you wish for. Because I think it's so extreme, and it's going so extreme that that now there's a backlash to that whole movement, I, I think, I hope, anyway. 
I think that's part of why it's so important and fascinating to understand the history because you say to yourself, okay, look at Chief Justice Roberts's 15-week compromise. He looked lonely. It looked like a losing proposition. What would this country look like if it had prevailed? I don't know. Hard to say, but we probably wouldn't see the political reaction we have seen. Jody, thank you so much for thank you. explaining this complicated topic in such an understandable way. It's so important that Americans pay attention and understand how government works. So I hope they'll listen and learn from this. Thank you for your great questions, Katie. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have a question for me, a subject you want us to cover, or you want to share your thoughts about how you navigate this crazy world, reach out. You can leave a short message at 609-512-5505, or you can send me a DM on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. Next Question is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. Our supervising producer is Ryan Martz. And our producers are Adriana Fazio and Meredith Barnes. Julian Weller composed our theme music. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to the description in the podcast app or visit us at katiecouric.com. You can also find me on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.